Would you agree that being generous is a good thing? <laughs> You'd agree with that, right? Generosity is good. I mean, you can think of a time when you were generous. Do you remember how good it felt? You know, what neuroscience tells us is that when we're generous, our brain releases that pleasure chemical, dopamine. That's why that felt so good to you. You know what else we know? That study after study after study tells us that being generous is a good thing. Because people who are generous, they're healthier, they're happier, and they actually end up living longer than people who aren't. So here's the thing. If, if neuroscience tells us that generosity is a good thing, if the studies tell us that being generous is good, and if deep down we know that it's just good to be generous, then why in the world aren't we more generous? Do you ever think about that? Why aren't we more generous? Well, in a little bit, we're going to talk about two enemies of generosity that we have to wrestle to the ground if we're going to be generous. I've got another question for you. Why in the world am I standing in front of this field? Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a bit as well. Being generous, it's not just a good thing. It's a game changer. Today, we're going to look at a group of people who practiced game-changing generosity and how they turned their world upside down. The group of people I'm talking about is the group of early followers of Jesus, the early church in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn with me, we are in Acts chapter four, verse 32. This is how it starts. It says, all the believers, that's the believers in Jesus Christ, the first followers of Jesus, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Now, as you hear that, you hear they're one in heart and mind. No one's, you know, claiming that anything's theirs. They're sharing everything that they had. You may be thinking, man, this sounds like more like a hippie commune. Now, like, what, what are these guys doing? Are they, are they sitting around naked, smoking pot? I mean, what's happening? Is this some sort of just kumbaya society? <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, these early Christians were living in the most chaotic times imaginable. Let me try and set the scene for you. So Jesus Christ has just recently been crucified. And after his crucifixion, all of his followers scatter, fearing for their lives. So they're literally in hiding, deathly afraid. And then a few days after his crucifixion, Jesus Christ resurrects from the dead and appears to hundreds of his followers. And now these same followers who were terrified and scattered all over the place are walking the same streets that Jesus walked, proclaiming the same thing that Jesus did to the same people that got Jesus killed. And they're boldly saying, Jesus Christ, he's alive. He is God. And it's this unbelievable, it's this surreal moment in time. But you have to understand, this is no hippie commune. This is no kumbaya experience. What's happening is that now their very lives are in jeopardy. These, these first followers, they're being ostracized from their communities. They're losing their jobs. Oftentimes, families are being torn apart. I mean, it is about as bad as you can imagine. And all kinds of people are coming to faith, but there is great need among the community. 
I told you that there's two enemies of generosity. And those two enemies are fear and entitlement. You see, the, the moment that we have the opportunity to be generous, fear rises up in us. And in some sense, it's actually a good thing, right? Because we just want to check and we want to make sure we're being responsible. But fear can rise up to an unhealthy level and basically say, there's not going to be enough for you. And and so all of a sudden we have this kind of self-preservation that comes over us and it stops us from being generous. The other enemy is entitlement. Entitlement basically says, I worked hard for this. I deserve this. Or maybe this other person doesn't deserve this. And so those two enemies, they are prevalent with us today when we think about generosity, and they were certainly prevalent in the early church. But in the midst of that, and in the midst of all of this chaos that was unfolding 2,000 years ago, look at what the early church does. It says that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. I love how the message translation renders that Greek text. It says, no one said, that's mine. You can't have it. See, nobody struggled with that enemy of entitlement. You know why? Because they had a profound belief that God owns everything. And when you believe that God owns everything, those enemies of fear and entitlement, they, they're just not as strong. They're, they're just not as big of a deal. Psalm 24, verse 1, King David says these words, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So these first followers, they'd seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. They now understood, oh my goodness, he is God. God is in control. God owns it all. And that enabled them to have game-changing generosity. Passage continues. It says, verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. You see that word power repeated twice in that passage. You know, oftentimes when, when I read about the power of God or the power that was evident in the early church. In my mind, I, I just kind of, I don't know where your mind goes, but for me, my mind goes to like earthquakes and tornadoes and lightning bolts and, and miracles and signs and wonders and healings and these like supernatural displays of God's power. And certainly when we read through the book of Acts, we see that there were these amazing supernatural movements of God's power. But, and I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. God's power was also present in the day-to-day, the practical, the mundane stuff of life. Just the, the loving and caring for one another, being generous toward one another. The day-to-day work of the early church, God's power was displayed among them. God's power was so evident. It was palpable. And do you know, What was responsible for that? Do you know why God's power was there? It was because of how they lived. It was this game-changing generosity that they were practicing, radically loving one another. That was how God's power was so evident among the early church. Maybe, you know, you're, you're just longing 
to experience the power of God. Maybe you've been praying, God, please do something amazing. Do something supernatural. Please show up and move in my life. And, and I want to tell you, keep praying that prayer, okay? Keep believing for that. But it actually might be as simple as this. You want to experience God's power in your life? Check this out. Follow God's ways and you'll find God's power. That's what was happening in the early church. They were simply following God's ways. They were loving radically and unconditionally. They were practicing game-changing generosity. And as they followed God's ways, they found God's power. It was absolutely incredible in the early church. I got to tell you, this principle for me has been so evident in my life. I remember in my early 20s, um, I, I pretty much had life going on. Just it was amazing. I had the dream job, the dream girl. I'm living with a bunch of buddies from college. and Everything was great except for one problem. I just wasn't totally fulfilled. And so my girlfriend at the time uh, started bringing me to church. And uh, even though I grew up in church, I, I really wouldn't have considered myself a, a believer in Jesus or even much of a Christian. But I started to become intrigued with the teachings of Jesus. I didn't believe in Jesus as anything more than just a great teacher. But you know what? I just came to the point where I'm like, you know, my way isn't really working that great. So you know what? I'm going to just try Jesus's way. And I started to follow Jesus' ways. I started just to apply Jesus' teachings to my life. And you know what happened? I started to experience such incredible joy and purpose and peace and fulfillment and satisfaction in my life. I I couldn't believe it. In fact, it was so compelling to me that this it's actually the reason that I came to faith in Jesus. I came to believe that Jesus actually is God because it was such a game changer in my life. I just want to encourage you. If you are looking to experience the power of God, it may be as simple as following God's ways so that you experience God's power. I just want to encourage you especially if maybe you're not even sure about this whole faith thing or who Jesus exactly is. Just start following the teachings of Jesus. And I'm telling you, you will discover the power of God. The passage continues. It says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, This doesn't really seem like any big deal today because charity is just so prevalent in our world. I mean, philanthropy is everywhere. We got YouTube sensation, Mr. Beast. He's giving away all kinds of stuff all the time, right? But you have to understand, 2,000 years ago, this just didn't happen. And especially it would not happen. You wouldn't sell a house or a field which represented your fallback plan, your security in your life for some person that you didn't even know or that you had just met who was part of this new movement called the way. There was, there was no way you would do something like this. But it was this game changing generosity that was, that was crazy that actually was the thing that was so irresistible. It's one of the reasons why hundreds and then thousands and then tens and hundreds of thousands and then millions of people 
flocked to the early church and became followers of Jesus. I got to tell you, the roots of, of everything that we do go all the way back to the early church. This is Grace Community Church's beginnings right here. Our call to have game-changing generosity, it starts right here in the book of Acts. And I got to tell you, I'm so proud that we are continuing in that tradition of being generous. You know, of all the years that I've been a part of Grace, this one is the year that I'm most proud of. Because these past 12 months, as we've gone through COVID, you know, there was a real temptation. We could have succumbed to the enemies of fear and entitlement, and just kind of locked things down because we didn't know how things were going to go. But instead we said, you know what? When, when things are the darkest, that's when the church should shine the brightest. The church exists for such a time as this. And, and I am so proud to share with you that over the last 12 months, we have given away three quarters of a million dollars to those in need in our community through our compassion and justice initiatives. And, and this is awesome. I got to brag on you guys for a second because the only reason that we were able to do what I'm about to tell you next is because of your generosity. But did you know that we have been able to directly financially assist over 250 families in our community that we have prevented from getting evicted, prevented from, from being out on the streets, from being homeless, thanks to you. And I'm telling you that you talk about a game changer. Think of that. All those families that have been impacted through the work of Grace Community Church. Now, as cool as that is, as important as it is to meet physical needs, food, shelter, clothing, there's something that's even more important, even more basic that the earth, that the, that the church is supposed to be about. And that is that no matter what you face, no matter what you go through in this life, no matter where you end up, there is a God who made you. There's a God who loves you, who knows you and is for you and will see you through anything that you face in this life. This is the message that the church has to carry out into this broken world. That's why I am so excited about what's happening this fall as we're gonna be moving in to our permanent space inside Ballston Quarter. Because here's what's so cool about this. We get to custom design a space especially for people who don't go to church to be able to come to know the love of God. Now, you may be thinking, hey, you know, that's that's really great that we get to do that. But you know what, Derek? I mean, meeting in schools has been great. I mean, what's wrong with just meeting in schools, continuing like, like we've always done? I like meeting in schools. Well, here's the deal. Meeting in schools is great. It's great for you. Because you see, you love grace. You're on board with Jesus. You, regardless of where, where your background is, you now are a churched person. You are pro-church. And so here's the deal. When, when you have trouble finding parking or an entrance because there's construction going on, when you come into our kids space and you see, you know, there's, there's all sorts of desks and different things have been moved around. When you go into our auditorium and, and maybe the, the lighting is different or the temperature is a little bit whatever because of the, the school settings or, you know, we're having technical issues. You know what you say? That's great. We meet in a school. You know why? 
because you're a church person and you can look past all that stuff. You love Jesus, but you know who it's not great for? Someone who doesn't go to church. And I just want to have you think about someone in your life for a minute who doesn't go to church at all, wants nothing to do with church. I want you to imagine with me for a second that something happened and that person who you think is least likely to ever darken the door of a church woke up on a Sunday morning and they just decided, you know what? I, I gotta, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's something that's going on with me. I don't know if it's the pizza I ate last night, but they woke up Sunday morning and decided, I don't know why, but I just, I gotta go to church. Now, think about this. That person drives over to Thomas Jefferson Middle School and we got all sorts of things happening and it's very unclear how they're even supposed to get into the building. What, what emotion do you think they're feeling right then? Maybe as they go to drop their kids off in our kids space and they see all those desks kind of piled up in one one side and, and there's kind of our cute little kids area on the other side. Um, what, what emotion are they experiencing right then? And as they, they go walk into our auditorium, and we're having some some technical issues, the lighting's a little bit funky, or it's a little hot or a little bit cold. What's running through their mind? I'll tell you what's running through their mind. Maybe it was the pizza. And the reality is, they'll smile and they'll sit through the service, but they're going to walk out. And maybe that's the only time that they would ever give church a try. Maybe they would walk back and say, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. Wasn't really feeling it. Wasn't really feeling a connection. The truth is that meeting in schools is great, but it's not great for everybody. And we are so excited that we get to finally create a place where someone who doesn't go to church would have no distractions, no disconnects, a space perfectly suited to meet them where they are so that they would be able to experience the love of God and would come into a game-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're so excited about Boston Quarter this fall. Now, I want to share two more verses with you, and I'm also going to tell you why in the world I'm standing out in front of this field. Verse 36 says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, you may have heard the name Barnabas before. Barnabas was a great leader in the early church. He went and started churches all over the place, traveled with the Apostle Paul. Um, but this is actually the very first place that Barnabas comes on the scene. This is, this is where we're introduced to Barnabas. And what I think is so interesting is that maybe, I don't know, but maybe if it wasn't for this moment right here, we might never have heard of Barnabas. You see, in this moment, Barnabas heard about this great need in the early church. And I imagine that he went to his field and he walked through that field that, that he loved. Maybe it had been in his family for generations. Maybe he'd played in the field as a kid or maybe he'd worked super hard and this field represented everything that, that, that you know, he had put his life into. I don't know. 
But as he walked around that field and he thought about the need of this early church, you better believe that he had to wrestle with the enemies of fear and entitlement. But you know what Barnabas did in that moment? He said, you know what? I know, God, what you're calling me to do. I know what you're calling me to do. And maybe he recalled all those times in the scriptures that he'd heard where it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Except this one scripture that he was familiar with, Malachi chapter three, verse 10, where God invites us to test him in one area, which is our wealth. And I'm sure Barnabas was familiar with these words where it says, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The tithe was a 10% cut of everything that you owned, everything that you produced, giving the first 10% back to God. You talk about game-changing generosity. Oh my goodness. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I bet as Barnabas stood in that field, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He knew that he could test God in that. And so he sold that field. He gave the proceeds to the early church to meet practical needs. And what happened next was a total game-changing moment in Barnabas's life. Now, when, when it says that God will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, that's not necessarily material or financial blessing. Certainly it wasn't for Barnabas, but he was blessed because this moment catapults Barnabas into the most thrilling, the most significant, the most incredible ministry experience of his life. He gets to travel with the Apostle Paul and start churches all around the Mediterranean Rim, seeing hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, have their whole lives, their eternities changed forever. All because of a moment in a field where God says, you can test me in this. This was Barnabas's moment. And this is our moment. This is my moment. It's your moment. The reality is this. We have a tremendous need in our community. Northern Virginia is one of the most unchurched parts of the country. And you know, there's a lot of people walking around Northern Virginia and then we look really pretty put together on the outside. But on the inside, there's a whole different story going on. The reality is, you guys, I can't imagine having dealt with the last 12 months of what we've been through without faith in God, without knowing that there's a God who hears my prayers, without hope and promises that it's gonna be okay, without the spirit of God in me to help me, without his power to see me through. Do you realize how many people in our community are going through life without that sense of God's love and God's goodness and God's power? This is our calling. 
This is our mission. This is our moment. And we want to create a space where someone who's far from God, someone who wants nothing to do with church can come and can encounter almighty God and can have their life and their eternity changed forever. This is the game-changing work of the church. Now, we got a big need in order to make this dream a reality. In order to build out the space, we are raising the funds to do that. And it's going to cost about a million dollars. And we are asking that you would consider giving to this project. Now, I want to tell you some really exciting and inspiring news. Um, we have already been approached by a number of people at Grace, a number of people who are leaders in the church, who are practicing game-changing generosity, who have come forward and said, you know what? I want to commit financially to this project. So I want to tell you, of this million dollars that we need to raise, we have already received commitments of over $425,000 that is amazing. We're, we're over 40% of the way there already. I am just so, so excited about that. But the reality is we still got about 60% of the way to go. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you to be radically generous in this effort to bring God's love to our community. And I want you to think for a second about your fields. Think about your fields. I know even just thinking about your fields will probably produce those enemies of fear and entitlement. But I want you to push through and I want you to consider that there is no greater gift that you can give someone than helping them to know the God who loves them and is for them. There's no greater gift you can give someone in this life because that's a gift that can never be taken away. And that's what we want to bring to our community. So I want to pray for you. And then I want to tell you um, how you can practice game-changing generosity toward this project. Let's pray. God, thank you for opportunities that you give us in this life to be part of something amazing. God, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the greatest message that this world will ever know, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, that you love us, that you are for us, and that you are gonna see us through. Lord, please help us. Help us as we think about what we have, God, and your call for us to be generous. Help us to wrestle the enemies of fear and entitlement to the ground so that we can do what we sense you calling us to do. God, we want to be game changers. We want to be generous. Help us, Lord. And when we get a sense from you as to what you want us to do, Father, please give us the courage to do it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I just want to encourage you, if you would like to partner with us in this super exciting endeavor, just go to trygrace.org slash game changer. 
And if you go to trygrace.org slash game changer, you will find some photos and some explanations about the project. We've even got a little video there inside the space. And at the bottom of the page, there's a place where you can commit to making a financial pledge to this project. We would love to have your partnership. Let's be game changers.